All right, Bible reading. Uh, you guys have kind of been doing like a weekly, weekly challenge, and I hope some of you have stuck, stuck with that. If you have not, and you just go, you know what, this week, Revelation 22, 21 and 22 was too tough. I quit. I couldn't stay in it. Jump back in. We're going to do, we have now like three weeks, right? We have this week, and then dwell is off for the next two weeks. Did you guys know that? No, and then you're going to want to come back on the 25th, I believe it is, because we're kind of starting to, like, promote camp, and that starts to get kind of fun, because you never know what's going to happen on any given Wednesday. Uh, but our Bible reading challenge is going to be First uh, Peter. So First Peter is a short letter, but let me give you the context. Uh, do you guys know what that means? Let me give you the reason for why 1 Peter was written. First of all, Peter was Jesus' friend. He was with Jesus. And uh, after Jesus was crucified and raised and he left, the church is getting persecuted. And, the, and Peter writes this to the church to let them know how to respond when people hate them because of their faith. So, like, the church is getting bullied by the Romans and the Jews. And, and Peter writes this to say, how do you respond when people are mean to you because of your faith in Jesus. And so with that kind of understanding, read First Peter, underline, highlight, text questions to your leaders. You can DM us on uh, Instagram and ask questions. All right, let's see if I can get this. I read the Bible like, what? Did anyone have this experience, uh, Revelation 21, 22? Like you read some of it and you're like, huh, what was that? Um, there are some things that when you read the Bible are challenging. Would anyone agree? I hope you agree because I'm a pastor. I've been to seminary. I have a master's degree. And still sometimes I read the Bible and I'm like, huh? And uh, I just want to encourage you to stick with it. The more you read, the more you start making connections. Now, I'm going to relate this to something that happens in our office like every day. So this is like I read the Bible like confused sometimes. This is, I listen to Patrick and Eli, and I'm like, what? Now, here's what you have to know. In our office, all of a sudden, Eli will say something that I don't even know, and it's like a song lyric or something. I've never heard the song. And then Patrick starts singing the next verse, and then pretty soon, they're giggling over there on their, uh, over on their laptops, and they're singing the song that I've never heard before. And then pretty soon, someone else says something, and Eli says a line, and then all of a sudden, Patrick's saying a line, and I look like over on the other side of the room, like looking over my shoulder, like, what is wrong with these guys? Now, the reason why I don't understand these guys is because they are quoting movies and shows that I've never seen before. So they're like making references to songs and movies and shows, and I haven't heard any of it. So it makes no sense. Has anyone ever been in that before? Like when you get around your parents with their friends and they're talking, <laughs> stock market, <laughs> S&P 500, uh, and you're like, what in the world is that? And you're like, that girl? Okay, here's the deal. The more you read the Bible, the more you know the story, the more you pick up on the language. Because Jesus and his disciples in John 15 are having this conversation, and we might just like pop into it and like, what are they talking about? But to them, they hear Jesus, and like that, what he just said, reminds them of a song 
that they know from the Old Testament. It reminds them of the story or the movie or the scene that they watched in the Old Testament. So we're going to see that unfold uh, tonight as we go through John 15. John 15 is a really important it's a really important chapter in the Bible, okay? John 14 through 17, listen, 14 through 17, the, the gospel is like cruising along and the first like 12 chapters are like three years of life. And then John 14 through 17, that is, what is that? Three, 14, four chapters are one meal. So John takes a huge part of his gospel to just talk about one meal that is happening with Jesus and his friends, and that's John 15. We're going to get, we're going to get there. All right, so uh, Jesus talks about a grapevine, and the lesson that we're going to, the questions we're going to answer, and what Jesus is telling them through this little story is this, what God is doing in the world and what God wants from me personally. Now, look up real quick. This is like one of the greatest questions that people ask. When you go like, what are the foundational questions of Christianity? It's what in the world is God doing? Do you guys ever wonder that? You like look at the world and what's happening in the world, and you're like, what, is, what in the world is God doing? The answer to that is in John 15. And then the second foundational question of Christianity is, what does God want from me? Is he just saving me from my sins? So I can kind of live a kind of nice life until I go to heaven? Is that Christianity? Or is there, some, is there a deeper purpose for my life? And am I living in that deeper purpose? And so two foundational questions in Christianity we're going to talk about tonight as we talk about a story about a grapevine. And by the way, I watched a lot of YouTube videos on grapevines this week. It's fascinating. All right, so just to be clear, John wrote this gospel for this purpose so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, the Son of God, and that if we believe that news, that John is trying to defend this argument, if we believe it, we may have eternal life in Jesus. So we talked about getting into John, this is a life or death decision that we have to make. Uh, number seven, when I say the number seven in the Bible, what do you typically think of? Seven, where have, you, where have you seen like a significant scene where there's seven? Creation. So when you read the Bible, this is a Bible tip. When you read the Bible, if you see seven, you know that this is like holy or this is complete because the seventh day of creation was the day of, was, was uh, the holy day. And it means like complete or full. And so you're going to see all throughout John this number seven, but in really hidden ways. Like you really got to be sneaky. There are seven signs in John. From the moment he turns water into wine to when he's walking on the water and he's feeding 5,000. And you might just think this is a random thing that there's seven miracles that Jesus does. But John is specifically using each of these miracles to tell you who Jesus is. And that's not going to be the lesson tonight, but there's also seven I am statements where Jesus says, I think I have all seven written down here. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, and the life. And tonight he says, I am the true grapevine. Okay? Now, the significance of this 
is not just that bread oh, is satisfying and allows us to live. But when he is telling these people, these disciples, I am the bread of life, they know a story that you might be unfamiliar with. It's the Exodus story. And when God saves his people from slavery, he feeds them and keeps them alive until they make it into the promised land. How does he do it? He sends bread from heaven. And so when he says, I am the bread of life, he's talking about a bigger thing, that he has come to save the world from their sin, and until they reach the kingdom of God, he's going to keep them alive. He is the source of life, okay? Each one of these has a reference to the Old Testament that is telling people, Jesus is telling them, this is who I am. Now, how many of you have heard the name Yahweh? Yahweh is the Jewish name for our God, the Jewish name for creator God, Yahweh. Do you know what it means? In English, it means I am. And so when Jesus is making this reference, I am, he's saying, I am the creator God, the true grapevine. Okay, now, when they would have heard the true grapevine, the disciples would have been like, oh, snap. Now, you guys might be like, grapevine, but like, have you guys seen that meme before? It's like my favorite gif. No? All right. Rough crowd tonight. I really thought that was going to be a hit. Apparently, I'm out of touch with Gen Z. Um, You thought it was funny? All right. Well, thanks for not laughing. All right. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. When they heard grapevine, they would have been like, (laughs) right, exactly. They would have been like, whoa. Now, in all seriousness, there is a significant song in the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to sing this song to you because, first of all, it was written in Hebrew. But this song I have for you, and because of this song, when Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, they would have been like, they would have known what Jesus is here to do in the world, and they would have known what their part in the world is. Let me explain. Here's the song. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with the best vines. It doesn't rhyme because it's not in Hebrew. You guys get the point. In the middle, he built a watchtower, and he carved a wine press nearby in the nearby rocks then he waited for the harvest of the sweet grapes this song that he's writing the prophet isaiah is a song about god planting a vineyard and he's waiting for the sweet grapes but it says but the grapes that grew were bitter what more could i have done for my vineyard what have i that i've already not done when i expected sweet grapes Why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? Now you say, what in the world is this song about? You see, if you know the biblical story, you know this. God started in a garden, a beautiful place called Eden. What's up, Eden, in the back? Where's she at? Her name name means paradise, okay? A place called Eden, and it was a garden And we know from the story that humanity rebelled against God and Eden, this paradise place, fell into ruin. And the whole world has fallen to pieces. And in chapter 12 of Genesis, something significant happens. God promises to replant the garden. He is re-gardening. He is gardening again. 
And so when Jesus is talking about, in this song, God is talking about how he took a people, the Israelites, and he took them to a promised land like Eden, a paradise, and he planted them in the earth. And he fed them and he loved them. And he, his plan for Israel was that, that they would grow like a vine and their sweet wine of gladness would cover the whole earth and that God would bless the earth through these people, Israel, as they learned to follow God. Now, how did, the end of, how did the end of the song go? How did the grapes turn out? Bitter. And if you read the rest of Isaiah, God is ticked. Like, he gave them everything they needed to be this amazing vineyard, to produce wine and gladness for the whole world. And they rebelled against them, and they were bitter. And God basically destroyed the garden. But he left a stump. Like he left just the stump of the vine. And so when Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, what is he talking about? I'm the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. This is what God is doing in the world through Jesus. What is he doing? Garden again. If you want to know what God is doing in the world. What is God up to? What is the purpose of this thing? What do we believe? It's real simple. Garden again. Eden again. And how we play a part in that is we get to be human again. Like the humanity that we get to experience is not the way it's supposed to be. I took, there was a, we had dinner tonight with a few of the kids and we were asking about love and we were reading through 1 Corinthians 13 and the definition of love. And when you look at that, 1 Corinthians 13, it is a beautiful picture of humanity. And then you look at each other and you look at yourself and you say, that does not describe me. We have all fallen short of God's picture of humanity, Right? What Christ is doing is human again, that you get to become human, truly human. And God is the master gardener. He talks about this in John 15. He says, two things I promise to do. I'm going to cut off the pieces that don't bear fruit. So I watch the YouTube videos, and you got the vine, and these guys are, are like artists. They know, they're like artists and scientists. They know exactly how to prune this thing. And if they do it right, they'll bear much fruit. And if they do it wrong, there will be no grapes. Like one lady was like, I got this wrong last year. And my whole vine, I had one little clump of grapes. He cuts off the branches that bear no fruit. And then the branches that do bear fruit, he prunes, which means each of that branch, I prune the right, um, what do they call them, shoots off of it. So that, what's the purpose? Why do you prune and why do you cut this thing off? So that this thing comes alive fully. So that a grape vine will actually produce loads and loads of grapes. This is what he says he is. Okay, so what does that mean for us? Because he says he's talking about humanity bearing much fruit. Well, 
If you have more grapes on a vine, that means the vine is functioning at its fullest, right? This vine is truly being a grapevine when it's producing good grapes. You are truly being human when you are producing more fruit. And you might ask, like, Brian, what does that mean? What is, like, being fully alive or fully human or producing fruit? What does that look like? And here's what I would say. The more you bear the image of God the more your character is conformed to God's character, the more fully human you are. The more love and patience and kindness and goodness, the more agape love that comes out of you, the more go low that comes out of you, the more truly human you will be. And actually, Jesus says that in this, joy will overflow in your life. When you get to be fully human the way you were meant to, joy will overflow in your life. So how does it happen? This is what he says. Now, some translations use the word abide. And I kind of learned this chapter, John 15, through the lens of this word abide. NLT uses remain in me, which I think is a little bit more helpful. Okay? This is what Jesus says. How do we bear much fruit? How do we become fully human? Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. No duh. You cut off a branch, it's not going to produce fruit. That branch stays on the vine, it blossoms. Okay? And you cannot be fruitful as a human unless you remain in Christ. Yes, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. The picture is this, you know, Jesus is using a picture of agriculture that they would have known, but we're not really, there's not a lot of ag people here. I know there's a a couple of you that are in FFA, okay? Okay. but like a better description for today would be like these lights. If I unplug the lights, what happens? They turn off. If I plug in the lights, they come back on. This is what Jesus is saying. If you want to be on as a human, you have to be plugged into the source of life. And the source of life is Jesus. So the question is then, Brian, I want to be fully human. I want to come alive. I want to have overflowing joy. Tell me what does it look like to remain in Christ or abide? All right. Jesus explains this. I'm going to start from left to right. And if you can remain right where it says us, you are abiding. Okay? He says this. The same love that the Father has for the Son... Like, how would you describe the love that God the Father has for his son, Jesus? Agape. Perfect love. Can you, can you imagine a more perfect love? It is the most perfect love you can ever experience that's ever existed in all of creation. In the same way that the Father has loved the Son, Jesus says he loves us. He's comparing his love for us to the Father's perfect love for the Son. 
whatever that perfect sauce of love that they've experienced for all eternity, he says, that is the same exact love I have for you. Wrap your mind around that. We listen to songs on the radio about love that is so temporary and so shallow, and we, see, we use lyrics like, like, it makes me feel like heaven, like, there's, like you saved me, like all these religious worship words about human love. And we've got the Son loving us with the most intense, perfect, pure love that we can ever imagine. But Jesus goes on and he says, it's not just to remain in his love, but how you remain in his love is by obeying his commands. And you go, wait a sec. I thought I just got to receive the love. Why do I have to obey Jesus? And some of you have this idea that you can say, I love you, I love my parents, but disobey them. Let me just give you a reality check. You don't. In that moment that you rebel against your parents, you are not loving your parents. If you love somebody, you honor them. If you love your parents, you honor them. So Jesus says this, remain in my love by receiving my love and honor me by obeying my commandments. Now you go like, how many of his commandments? Like all of his commandments? Well, the good thing about Jesus is he makes it like simple for us. He doesn't make it easy. He makes it simple. There is one great commandment. And he says it in John 15. He says, this is my new commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, if you get this, the same love that the Father has for the Son, Jesus says the Son has for us. And then he says, if you want to remain in me, then what you do is you take that love and you love with the same love to each other. This is what the vine looks like. If you go, what is God doing in, in the world? He's garden again. What does humanity look like in garden again? It looks like us loving each other with perfect love. And you go, if, if you're like me, you're like, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I was just back in the room with some of you guys eating dinner, and when we read through the definition, I was like, guys, this is not me. I'm just going to tell you, if you live with me, you know this definition of love I fail at all the time. The good thing is, God is, God is the gardener. Here's your job. Remain in Jesus. He will prune you. There are things in your life that need to be cut out. Like this thing that's, you're a shoot, and this thing that's coming off of it is not causing you or not allowing you to be fully human. You're not bearing fruit. And so guess what he does with that shoot? He takes the pruning knife, and now, boom, blossom. He is the master gardener. You are a branch on the vine of Jesus Christ. 
and he knows how to get you to bear fruit, you've got to yield yourself to him and say, cut it off. If it gets in the way of garden again, if it gets in the way of human again, cut it out. Cut it off. I'm going to ask you, uh, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. We're going we're to finish with this. I just want to, I want you to close your eyes because I just want you to like have a moment without distraction. I'm going to ask a question. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hand. I'm not going to ask anyone to walk an aisle. Some of you, if you look at your life, the fruit is lacking. You might say, I do not feel the love of God. You're talking about perfect love that comes from Jesus, and I, do, I don't know how to remain in it because I don't feel it. And if you're not feeling it, it's like impossible to gin up that love to others. And maybe you're at someone that just says like, I don't know if I have Jesus. Whatever this life source is, this electricity that turns on the lights, I don't know if I have it. Jesus says this, remain in my love. And if you want Jesus, here's as simple as it is. You tell him you want him. Like, I want it. I want to be attached to the vine. I want to be fully human. And I want you to prune me and make me a full human in Christ. Now, others of you would say, like, I'm confused because I do love Jesus. I honestly love Jesus. But to be honest, there's little or no fruit. And really, if you looked at my life, there's little or no love that is coming out of me. You're confused. I love Jesus. I know the answers. He is Lord. And yet my life does not honor him with obedience. You need to be pruned. Now, I believe in listening to God, and here's how it works with me. I say, Lord, prune me. And I say, show me what needs to go. Like, show me what needs to go. And sometimes he takes it away, and sometimes I need to cut it out. If that's you, if you're confused and you feel like I'm a Christian, I know Jesus, he's my savior, I have little to no fruit, ask God to prune you. What are the things that need to be cut out? And maybe there's a third group. And you're like, I'm ready. I'm garden again, human again, I want it. Colossians says this, that when, we, when our heart grows down into the love of God, we come alive. Your prayer is, show me, God, that perfect love. Help me to understand that perfect love. And then the names and faces that pop into your mind. You say, Lord, I am just a branch, and I'm going to love whoever you put into my brain and your life begins to blossom in love. But you got to listen to him. What does he want to prune? Who does he want you to love? I'm just going to give you a minute. And I'm going to pray for us.
Father, it's good news that Jesus came and he is the true vine. And the plan that you had to plant a vine that would restore the earth and do God and again is our Savior, is your Son. Lord, I pray for those that don't know him and haven't been attached, that today would be a day that they call out to you and say, I want it. I want life. I pray for those that are confused because of the lack of fruit, and I pray you would be crystal clear about what it is that needs to be cut, that, that needs to be cut off and pruned. And for those in here that are ready, they want you, they feel the love, and they want to know what is next, I pray you would be crystal clear at school or wherever they're at that you would be bringing faces and names and creative ways that we can bless as we live in this perfect love. We can do none of this without the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray for the Spirit to empower us to do this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.